like low key fuck 2020. Still sad, still ain't got no money. I ain't got a watch up on my wrist. I just got some shit I gotta fix. Yeah. Low key fuck 2020. I don't know about everybody else, but I think that I'm kinda done. Can we just get to 2021? Hey you guys, welcome back to Block Channel. Uh, we're back this week to have a discussion uh, about what's been going on in kind of the greater macro micro environment of uh, DeFi, exchanges, investing, uh, where people's minds are at right now in regards to that as we've had all this exciting discussion over the past couple of weeks, week-ish in relation to like yield farming, um, all these additional new like governance tokens like uh, Compound uh, coming alive. It's sort of like re-engaging to have a discussion about futures, derivatives, uh, liquidity, uh, where that comes from, where we are in the maturity cycle of that. Um, so, you know, had to have that conversation with me today. Of course, um, I'm with one of my other very faithful co-hosts, uh, Dimitri. Uh, Dimitri, would you like to introduce yourself to the audience for number 73? Man, 73 of these bad boys. Yeah, well, I'm Dimitri D, uh, founder of the Bitcoin Podcast Network and co-host of Block Channel since the beginning and ready for another exciting Numero episode. uno. He's an OG. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. I mean, hey, but before we get into this show, unfortunately, many other times in the past, I never take an opportunity to make a plug for myself. It's always about our guests and, you know, kind of in their importance. So before we get into this, I want to uh, let it be known that earlier this week, uh, myself and uh, another friend, Alex Smith, and another friend, Thomas Costanzo, um, actually introduced uh, one of the first ever uh, completely private, uncensorable web browsers um, built on top of the Handshake protocol called Handy Browser. Uh, and that was actually covered in Coindesk, uh, and we put out a nice technical release on that. And you can find that um, on uh, just by doing a Google search for Handy Browser GitHub. <clears throat> Excuse me. And uh, you'll be able to learn more about it. Uh, I just wanted to introduce this to the block channel listeners, as a lot of you all have been following, you know, myself with uh, working with Handshake. We've had on Handshake related guests onto the show. Um, and uh, as Web3 is sort of coming of age, and uh, I think now would be a really excellent time to familiarize yourself uh, with uh decentralized protocols, decentralized DNS specifically here, uh, and to see how you can engage into the community. So uh, Handy Browser, I just wanted to do a quick self-plug there before we have this discussion. And uh, the discussion that we're going to be having today uh, is going to be with a gentleman named Kyle Davies, um, who's a GP at Three Arrows Capital, and who's a gentleman who I've been following on, or actually coincidentally, both of us have been following each other on Twitter for quite some time, Big fans of each other. Um, he works with a lot of really cool companies. Um, you know, they've been a fun for many, many years, uh, and they've recently gotten into crypto. And I wanted to be able to have him come on and share his insights uh, to our community here at Block Channel. So, Kyle, without any you know further ado, uh, could you give uh, the audience just a briefer a backgrounder uh, uh, on yourself? Uh, and, and how you made your way into crypto. And then we'll start talking about all the cool stuff you've been working on. Yeah, appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Steve. Um, mm -hmm. So 
I guess our journey was much more of a trading journey. So we, uh, we're a trading firm, uh, Three Arrows Capital. I founded it about eight years ago with Suzu. And our background was finance. We're, we're, I was working at a bank and I was trading, I was a derivatives trader. Mm-hmm. And so for us, um, actually I find with a lot of people, their entry into crypto starts with some form of arbitrage uh, of some mm-hmm. sort, especially for, the, for, for traders. Um, so um, that's kind of what we were looking at too. And uh, our first trades were looking in 2013 at uh, the BTC China trade and also the uh, ICBIT, futures basis trade. Um, so that was kind of where, you know, I, the, the tech kind of came later for me and I'm not really, uh, you know, I, I'm not, not really like a developer, right? So for me mm-hmm. to understand, I guess, the, you know, the blockchain and be, become more passionate about it took longer, but the trading interest was immediate. Um, and that uh, we really, we started doing some stuff as early as 2013 and then really didn't get that big into it until the second, you know, uh, I guess the second boom came in like 2017 or so. Right. Um, and that's when we really decided, you know what, we need to sh- we need to pivot our firm uh, from old world to new world. We were trading FX mainly at the time. And we need to uh, focus all of our attention, all of our capital, all of our strategies on the crypto. There's just too much here. So that's more or less what we did. And we do uh, we do some trading, we do some investing, and that's uh, that's three arrows. Ooh, Excellent. And so, and, and where where and where are you guys based out of? Are you guys U.S. based? Are you guys in Asia? Where, where are you headquartered? We're in Singapore. So uh, we've got a couple people in Hong Kong, but almost everyone's in Singapore here. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so you guys have been kind of. How long would you say you've been really heavily, like, kind of keyed into crypto and in, in focusing on that? As far as like Three Arrows Capital's thesis, like, did you guys start recently making investments in the space? W- w- when did you feel like you kind of jumped in more headfirst? Uh, so, I would say it was kind of through the 2018 period, um, mm-hmm. where it took us a while to wind down some of the other strategies we were doing. Uh, as an example, if you're trading uh, currencies, you can't just wake up tomorrow and decide to trade currencies. You need to open a prime brokerage account. And a prime broker won't just let anyone open an account. They need to know your background. You need a minimum capital requirement, which is frequently like five to 10 million. Uh, you need, uh, but if you have five to 10 million, that's not enough. You need to mm-hmm. be able to prove that you can trade, you know, at least a couple hundred million a month. Or else mm-hmm. they're not. You're not going to pay the commissions. But even if you can do that, that's not enough. They need to know. Like, well, long story short, to trade FX is hard at an institutional level. Mm-hmm. Like, it, you need relationships. You need volumes. You need capital. You need a lot of things. And I was very reluctant to relinquish that after like six years of trading quite a bit of FX. And uh, it took us a while to move capital, move our trading team over. Some people pivoted. Some people didn't quite make the cut. Um, but, uh, but yeah, like today we, uh, it's almost all of what we do. Mm. Didn't make the cut. Like, does that mean what I think it means? Like they had to try out and you cut them from the team? (laughs) (laughs) Well, the skill sets are different, right? So, um, we've, uh, the thing about prop is it's cyclical, uh, and the half-life is Mm -hmm. short. Um, so if you come up with a strategy and you're making, you know, some returns, 
usually it takes a little bit of while to, to ramp up, like to understand exactly where you're going to focus your tech and your talent. You've got to hire people. But then the half-life mm -hmm. of these strategies might be six months, which means that maybe mm -hmm. after two years, you're, you've either, either innovated a lot or you are armed out of the market. And that's happened mm -hmm. to me for a couple strategies where I came in. Uh, so I don't know. I'll give you some examples. In Korea, mm -hmm. uh, we were very big in Korean uh, NDF trading, non-deliverable forwards. If you want to trade, the Korean won is a restricted market, um, which means if you want to trade it as a foreigner, you got to trade forwards, which settle into dollars called NDFs. Mm -hmm. And they have a fixing. Um, we were the largest trader of them for a while in Korea. We were about 15% of the market um or so and so they there's a uh, futures market there's an an otc market and we were uh, quite big in trading that product um but like to optimize it you know you need uh, onshore brokers with the right commissions you need cross margins so you can set off your 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 forward versus your future you need uh good otc access so you need to connect to like 15 different counterparties and that takes a lot of effort but once you do it, you can make a lot of money and then people catch up and other people start learning what you're doing. And then six months later, you're not making as much as you were. Six months after that, you're making like half of that. And then by before you know it, the big guys have come in and you're not making any money anymore. And that's been my experience uh, for a number of different trades. Mm. So what would you say um, was, all right, so you're like, cool, we're going to look into the crypto space now. And you've sort of like changed your lens. Um, what was the first sector that you focused in on that you felt like you could come in and innovate? So for us, we're a trading firm. Um, so we mm -hmm. do some investing, but we do it uh, either very passively. Uh, that is to say other people lead the deal. So we've done mm -hmm. a number of seed investments in um, DeFi related companies. Um, and I've never been a lead there because I just simply don't know enough. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, if we are strategic, we can. And uh, the, the large example that I have right now is Deribit, which is the, uh, the largest options exchange in crypto. They have about 90% market share. And we, uh, my partner, Suzu, runs mm -hmm. their research portal. Um, so um, we do lots of articles. For them, I've written a bunch. Uh, so we try to bring in other people as well. Um, but because we're involved there, we are able to get you know access to things, and, and we trade a lot there. And so we see ourselves as much more connected and strategic. And especially since we're in Asia, and generally they're trying to build in Asia, um, it's there's a lot more synergies there for that kind of stuff. Okay. Um... I'm not going to lie to you. I think you're you're super bright and early over there in Singapore. So you're throwing some some uh, some words, some definitions I'm not quite comfortable with. So I just got to ask some questions. You said something about ask them. Ask them, Dimitri. You measure your forward against your future. Is that the phrase that you used earlier? I don't know. I don't even know what that means. Can you break that down for me? Yeah, sure. So a future is uh, a contract. It's traded on an exchange. Yeah. Um, oh, I got that trade, one. For example. Okay. Um, it has a fixed expiry. It's set by the exchange. It's fixed contract specs. And then anyone that connects to the exchange can trade it. A forward is more of a bilateral agreement. So you could design a bilateral agreement that looks very similar to a future, like the same specifications, except it's settled between two counterparties. And there's usually mm. a master agreement to determine that. So the reason why people trade forwards is because they're much more customizable. And the collateral requirements 
are the most important part. So for example, with a prime broker, which is what is you need to have for FX, the goal is to trade everywhere. It's a very fragmented market. You got to trade on lots of exchanges, lots of uh, other venues and OTC counterparties. And you need that all to sit in one account where your prime broker says, okay, you bought from here, you sold from here, you're flat, zero capital, you know? And they take care of the credit risk between counterparties. That's the point of a prime broker. Um, so that's why the forwards market is uh, is so big in uh, in effects because with a fragmented market, not everyone's trading on the CME. People are trading with each other in bespoke ways and uh, it's quite important to have it settle, you know, in a uh, like fully cross-margin deficient account. Okay. And, and so, you know, so in, as far as the, uh, the industry goes, I mean, you know, with perpetual swaps and those types of instruments, I mean, have been very popular on, you know, exchanges like BitMEX and, you know, what Arthur Hayes has built over there has been like rather impressive. And uh, with the, you know, the entrance of Deribit, uh, who, you know, as an options exchange has grown very quickly as like, you know, we have all these other, you know, different instruments, exchanges, you know, coming online. And so it starts showing a level of maturity, like how... Uh, how did you see Deribit as like a, being a, an important like milestone and like wh where do you see it growing into over the next like say like year or two as like DeFi and these other activities continue to grow? Yeah, that's a good. I, okay, we've got a pretty strong view here actually because we uh, we are <laughs> it's our largest uh, investment uh, equity mm -hmm. investment. So um, yeah, my take on that is. Uh, Actually, on a trading in the trading space in crypto, I really don't see that much innovation. I see mm -hmm. rather like not at a product level. Um, it's much more about execution. So even uh, you mentioned the perpetual swap that Arthur has. Um, mm -hmm. He did not invent that. That like, mm -hmm. like the one of the largest traded products. Period in in mm -hmm. for retail traders is called a contract for difference, a CFD. Mm -hmm. That is, that is the same thing that he has on his exchange. A CFD, uh, it's, uh, Americans don't trade it. Uh, there's a regulation why. But in Europe, in Asia, it is one of the largest traded uh, you know, retail products, period, in FX, uh, commodities, everything. Um, so um, what he did, which was great, is he put it on his exchange. He came up with a formula to decide the overnight funding rate. Um, and then he you know, was able to grow the liquidity. Right. That 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 was his innovation. Right. Yeah. Um, and so for Deribit now, I see this as uh, options. Options mm -hmm. is a nascent market in crypto. Um, mm -hmm. Options are not new. They're pretty basic. Uh, calls and puts have been traded since like Greek times. Um, yep. But um, but the innovation here is uh, the execution. So Deribit basically has the only metal exchange and by metal i mean it's co-located in mm -hmm. a it's not in an aws cloud mm -hmm. um aws clouds are great for retail to like lots of people in the world to connect all at the same time but it is terrible for high throughput um low latency you know efficient trading and so yeah. what deribit has is they have a metal exchange in london um where people which has high throughput uh you know high volume low latency and is has the uh, the best basically uh, options market for for both Bitcoin and Ethereum right now and they're adding more. So for them, the innovation is really on the execution side and because for the options market, 
um, it's, uh, you know, it's so new um, in crypto anyways, they are really able to capture quite a bit of the volume. Like they're over 90% of the market share right, right now. Mm-hmm. Now, like as DeFi itself matures, it seems to me as if given like your explanation as to why, uh, you know, Deribit is so great that you're probably don't even, not even really even concerned that, you know, you, you guys are playing a whole different ball game when it comes here to options. And even if we can have options related contracts and things like that in a, in a decentralized manner, we still go back to the issue of latency, you know, access, etc. Like what's, what's, What's that going to mean for, say, like Bitcoin and Ethereum on like a micro macro level? Do you feel like what you're working on with Deribit is very important um, for the growth of these like kind of like two like major assets? Or what? How, how do you see yourself kind of like commingling with that? I guess I see them as different worlds. Uh, mm-hmm. Maybe these worlds meet someday, but right now I see them as very different worlds. So. The um, decentralized finance world, which we have invested in a number of different projects, uh, both at the seed and later stage level, um, is for me, like academically, very interesting and, um, and very experimental. And um, so as a trader, I do, I, I, we do do a bunch of trading there, but it's all like arb related trading. I'm never a taker. Um, like my dream would be someday that I need to, or I want to buy, you know, speculate on the price of Bitcoin with a call option or something like that. And the most efficient way to do that would be on a decentralized finance platform. That would be beautiful. Right. But Mm -hmm. as of right now, that's not the case. That's really, it's just not even close to the case. Uh, the late, like the latency access, everything is a friction point. And so for us, I just don't even see them as. Like there's no C5 versus DeFi for me. There's C5 and DeFi. And if the technology catches up someday, well, it would be wonderful to integrate that in some other things. And maybe for staking yields, like we're already seeing that, right? Some centralized platforms offer, you know, staking into uh, DeFi protocols now, which maybe that's like the first touch point of those two Mm. worlds. But yeah, frankly, I see them as very, very different worlds at this point. Yeah, no, I learned that myself. So, you know, uh, Mintum itself is uh, is a hybrid fund. So w- what I wanted to experiment with early on when we were starting the fund was, oh, I want to go to, uh, you know, crypto conferences and hackathons and things of that nature, things that I'd already been doing. But let me go into the traditional finance world, the hedge world. Let me see if I can get on some of those panels, go to some of those discussions and see if I can say something intelligent in these rooms of people in suits that essentially, like, as yourself, I kind of really, really, really understand the traditional finance legacy background and, 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 and like kind of, you know, obviously built your career into that. And myself, I'm I'm always have just been crypto. So what I learned when I went there was like, yeah, like they were, crypto was cool and all, but like the world that they were living in was just operating at a whole level of maturity that crypto was going to take, I feel, at least another like half a decade to another decade to get to. I mean, what do you what do you think? Um, you stole uh, my like question. Bitcoin, <laughs> I don't think. What do you? Oh my fault! My fault. <laughs> no, go for it. That was what I had lined up. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. No, I mean, how are you going to ask it? Go I was ahead. just going to ask him how he's, you know, how he feels about how the crypto like market has matured since he's been, you know, going at it for eight years now. I was gonna, literally going to say, is it anywhere near where it needs to be to stop being um i don't want to say 
I don't want to say laughable, but that's kind of what it is when you measure like how large the Bitcoin, the crypto market is with Bitcoin and all the, the tokens compared to like just how large the derivatives market is. Uh, it's like it's almost like when people in the uh, traditional financial world look at the crypto market, they're like, oh, that is the cutest. Look at that. So cute. Look at it go. And I just wanted to get, you know, you have a unique perspective. I wanted to see what you thought about the maturity or it's the pace of the maturity. So not you, Steve. Yes, I mean, <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. But um, I would say there's uh, the way I would think about it is um, FX conferences are some of the most boring conferences you've ever been to. And yeah, I only went to one. <laughs> you went to one, you're done. You don't need to go anymore because yeah. uh, they're the same every year. Uh, they are suits. Like literally everyone shows up in a suit. And it is top down. It is FX is a top down hierarchy. Um, mm-hmm. That is to say, product innovation is whatever the the like the biggest firms say the product innovation is. It doesn't yep. happen from the ground up. Uh, in crypto, it happens from the ground up. So that pace of innovation mm-hmm. or pace of change is way faster, and it's much more uh, impactful because it's what the customer wants because the customer is demanding it, right? Um, and so, I think. Yeah, that's the way I would say this. Like, if you go to a crypto conference next year, it probably is going to be very different than the one you just went to this year. And yes. it's probably going to have a lot of interesting new people. Um, and it's probably going to have, like, some material changes. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas if you go to the FX conference next year, I promise you it's going to be literally the same. Same people, same people. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. No, no. See, that is no. That's absolute great perspective. I'm glad to hear that from you because that was my that was my whole thing. I sort of like looked into it and I was like, oh, I guess uh, I guess I don't belong here yet. No, no, <laughs> uh, no, no. Steve, Steve, you belong there, but you belong there once. You don't need to be there more than once. <laughs> once you've done it, once you've done it. <laughs> <laughs> so, 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 so that being said, I mean, obviously, you know, clearly, like, you know, you you really know what you're doing. You've got a lot of uh, you know experience here. What's uh, you know, you say you do a little bit of investing, but what's 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 your strategic approach like when you're looking at the growth and the maturity of the space like you haven't made it you know boom obvious bet derivit do that um but like what what's next like what what other lenses are you looking from that are important from you uh so for yeah for us i i I have to say we're not a vc firm so i'm not looking for like lots of deal flow um i'm very much a trading firm so i'm always thinking what's the next trade that that's for sure but for a from an investing perspective, I'm not thinking that way at all. I'm thinking, mm-hmm. you know, because we're a market participant, uh, you know, as are you, as is everyone in crypto, because you're a market mm-hmm. participant, like it's a community, it's a network. And um, sometimes you in the network are strategic just because of where you are, what you're doing and what you're trading in my case, mm-hmm. or, what, or you're, what you're developing maybe for someone else. And mm-hmm. because of that, you know, so in like in DeFi right now, one of the beautiful things is some of the guys making all the money here are developers or are community mm-hmm. members in those protocols, which is not the case. If, I, if you go back to that old FX world, you know, it's never the guy that's like the programmer at whatever. Tech, <laughs> yeah, you know? that's not the guy making all the money. It's like the, it's like the boss that's above him. Right. But in crypto, that's not true. So you've got you've actually got um, some community members and developers that understand things better. And thus, that's their alpha. Well, my alpha is on the trading side. So mm-hmm. for me, if I am trading on Deribit and I understand 
uh, that there are definitively like, okay, so here, here's one more part of my thesis. Um, mm -hmm. Because I'm a trader, I know that if you want to hedge an option, it's complicated. You don't just like buy and sell and then you're done. That's not the way it works. If you buy a call, let's say, option, uh, mm -hmm. you might hedge with a different strike and different tenor. Um, mm -hmm. So you might, let's say, uh, you let's say you do a client trade and you trade uh, some weird strike, weird tenor, you know, we, like an odd combo. That's not mm -hmm. a very standard one. Um, I might hedge in a more liquid strike and tenor. So I still have exposure, right? Like if the curve were to move, I would make or lose money. But my, if I look at the overall, like, Volat like uh, uh, the things that affect an option are uh, volatility of the market, um, the price movement uh, of the underlying rate moves, things like that. And you try to hedge as best as you can. And so what you would do is, let's say I, I, I buy a call in one strike, I might sell another in a more efficient strike, and then I might even trade a delta hedge against that, like a trade of a future or a perp swap against that. And if I do that combination, it's very important to me that the collateral is all in one place so that I can cross margin and hedge everything efficiently. It would not be efficient if I traded my call on CME, my, you know, on my other strike on Deribit and my hedge on BitMEX. That would be terrible. I'd have to put money all over the place, right? Um, so that's why it's so powerful to control and have the best primary market, which Deribit has. Mm. So as mm. people build new options markets, which we've seen a lot, there's been a lot of new options markets, we find that they're all accessing the market in a different way. Like, for example, uh, Binance has a options market. It's uh, on mobile only. There's not on the website. Mobile only. And you can only buy. You can't sell. Obviously, it's a very different product, right? Like it's targeted specifically at retail. Um, I would bet all of their hedges go straight to Deribit because... That's the only way that they can hedge that exposure. And obviously it's not a competitor in any way. Like a mobile app for retail is that you can only buy is in no way a competitor to Deribit, right? Mm -hmm. um, but it's a beautiful part of the ecosystem that accesses um, the you know, clients in a new way. And, that, and then that's what's so great about Deribit. So, like, and, and just one more point on that. Options mm -hmm. in crypto are 1% of the derivatives market approximately. Mm -hmm. Options in FX, commodities, equities, is 60% of the derivative market, approximately. Mm. This so you think we got a lot world. of upside to go liquidity-wise? Oh, yeah. There, there's no, uh, there's not, it, this is not a like a fight for the piece of the pie game. This is a grow the pie game. And mm. um, and that's why, we're, that's why we're so excited about this. Mm. Oh, no, you got me excited. Yeah, <laughs> grow the pie. I like the way that sounds. And I love pie, so... Yes. <laughs> How uh um, You got some more you got some more questions, Richard? Go ahead. This was gonna be outside of the box, or maybe not. I, you have to be like an Excel super wizard. Like you just rattle off so many things. I'm like, how are you keeping track of all that? Like it's gotta be what, what, are you an Excel super wizard? Or like is there some mat are there tools that are even more powerful? Cause you just to me it seems like you just mentioned like eight things you're trying to balance <laughs> with one trade. So, like, what kind of tooling are you using to do that? That that seems like I thought I was doing something on my Coinbase apps, but I'm I'm definitely not. Like now I know I'm <laughs> I, I like, like I'm not doing anything with my little Coinbase Pro. So, um, what what's going on, man? How are you doing all that? 
Or you don't want to give away your secret sauce. That's cool. The secret sauce is to have good partners. So uh, my, my, my partner is uh, Suzu. Uh, we went to high school together, college together, first job together, working for the same boss in Tokyo, uh, and then founded the firm together. And it helps to have really good, strong partners. And so we rely on each other for a lot of things. And then it helps to have a really good team too. So we've got developers, traders, um, ops, we've got everything. So um, you take, I mean, and it's not to say, by the way, that uh, Coinbase apps is good or bad. Like everyone accesses the market in a different way. And, uh, and as you access the market more, your needs grow, right? So like maybe, for example, that options trader, maybe uh, you don't trade options professionally. Maybe you are, you have a real job, like a day job, <laughs> and you just want to buy and you want to trade on your phone. Well, mm -hmm. maybe Binance is the right place for you. Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you have a little bit more time. Like it's, you still have a day job, but you, uh, you know, you want to run some slightly more sophisticated strategies or at least trade in like the primary market. Well, maybe Deribit is, is, is okay for you if you can go through the contract specs and get it. Um, and you can trade, uh, you know, a, a more basic strategy. Or maybe you're a market maker. This is your full-time job. You're a market maker, high-frequency trader. Well, now you've got to write um, connectivity to, to the exchange. And you probably need to get a co-located server. you got to put your server next to their server, cross-connect to it, and be able to market make properly, right? Um, latency is important for you. Uh, so everyone accesses the market in a different way. Depends on your needs. Depends on what you want to accomplish. It's no, there's no wrong way. Well, thanks, man. That makes me feel a lot better about my Coinbase Pro app. I feel good. So, <laughs> so I do got I do have a question for you before we get out of here, Kyle, because I won't take up too much of your time because it seems to me like you got a lot of work to get back to that early in the morning there in Singapore. Um, but, you know, since you've been, you know, kind of like more heads down in crypto in the past couple of years and kind of like really keeping your eyes on things, what has been a common mistake? misunderstanding, maybe misinterpretation that you feel that either a lot of founders or a lot of speculators in the space are making that something that kind of either, you know, just boils your blood a little bit, it just frustrates you. What's something that you wish people knew that you know from your, your work and your experience um, that you think would benefit them in the space? Right. So, okay, let me talk from an investing perspective, maybe. Um, Do it. It's really hard to beat Bitcoin. Uh, really yeah. hard so if you are able to beat Bitcoin, you have already won like a lot. Uh, and one way you can beat, by the way, is you can lend it. You can lend, uh, we borrow Bitcoin at like 8%, right? Or you can trade the futures basis trade, right? So there are ways to do it. Um, so now, like, and I feel like that should be the benchmark. I think a lot of people benchmark versus dollars and they think they invest in something and it goes up and they beat, and they made 20% on dollars and they think that's good. But meanwhile, Bitcoin's like up 2x. Yeah. <laughs> so it's not so good. Um, you, uh, I feel like that has to be the benchmark. And um, mm. if you look at the investing space, like from a venture capital or later stage space, how many things can beat Bitcoin? And I think that is the hard question that a lot of people really should be asking. Um, and then over what time scale? Like if you're investing in a really early VC stake, um, mm. maybe it outperforms for like a year, but then maybe mm. it like underperforms for years, right? Um, so I think, yeah, for, for, for me, Deribit is, is one that does. It scales with Bitcoin, actually, because it's Bitcoin collateral. So as Bitcoin mm -hmm. goes up, people trade more, options market grows, um, and I think their market share can grow. So that, for me, that adds up. But I think for other investments, it is very important to do that math. Don't compare versus dollars. You have to compare versus Bitcoin. 
Yeah, I mean, like, you know, having $50,000 and you're saying, I, I want to cut a check to someone. What what do I do? Do I buy $50,000 in Bitcoin or do I put it in this nice up and coming Bitcoin startup that like maybe, well, you know, it's going to raise around quick. Maybe I'll have a couple of like markups and, you know, I'll make some money, but it won't it'll pale in comparison to what Bitcoin does over the next couple of years. Um, you know, it's, it's not maybe or it's higher than likelihood to fail because it's experimental. And then, then it comes down to literally investors are just investing in exchanges. That's how I feel. Like, you know, even like our portfolio uh, at Amentum, you know, we've invested in the name base, which is an exchange. We've invested in the token soft, which, you know, folks, you know, they, they, they have a brokerage, like they, uh, um, uh, uh, you know, help like bring like securities like to market and um, find like, them like secondary, like market liquidity. So it's like those folks that are moving the money around, those are some of the best like investments um, for sure. But um, I guess, when it really comes down to it, though, are, do, do you always make the argument of will it perform better than Bitcoin? Or do you think we've gotten to a point where you can ask yourself, does my Bitcoin perform better than ETH? <laughs> That's a good question, too. Uh, well, we're, we are overweight ETH right now. Um, it's always. Both, OK, good. Yeah, we're, we're a little bit overweight in ETH uh, in the portfolio on momentum, too. So that kind of gave us a lot, a lot of solid, especially in April um, against like BTC. I think Bitcoin. Yeah. I think Bitcoin was up like thirty-four percent or something like that in April. And we were up like 40, 45, 46. and um, and and you know that that comes from um, like the weightings and I guess like an allocation. So like my my question, I guess my last question to be is, how does somebody follow the prevailing sentiment to know when do I adjust my weightings and uh, you know when will Ethereum generate? the outsized alpha against BTC finally. And then, of course, what's going to be that next asset that outperforms those two uh, over the long term? Um, that's what I'm searching for. Uh, but, uh, Dimitri, do you have uh, any other questions for Kyle before we scoot out here? Um, no, I really don't. Um, just to thank you. Put some stuff into perspective as far as, you know, how I should view the market moving forward um and made me feel good about myself so i'm not doing everything wrong so thank you <laughs> cool well yeah no I, I one more final thought here um, please go ahead we're professional investors steve like mm -hmm. for us to predict whether eth goes above bitcoin or some other smaller project goes above that uh that's your job like mm -hmm. but for the average person that's not their job and the common i think one of the most common mistakes that someone that's new would make is they they think that uh bitcoin's too big and they try to buy something smaller thinking it will go up more and more often than not they end up that will lead them invest because they're new and they're more they're not as experienced that will that's what leads to investing in scams or um yep. you know massive underperformance or investing at the top of a cycle, like they're the ones that buy the top of a pump, you know? Um, so that like, yes, you've been around for a while. And so of course you should be doing more, more stuff, but anyone who's new, honestly, I don't know why they wouldn't just hold Bitcoin and that's it uh, until they understand a little bit better. No, that, 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 that argument I can totally agree with. If you don't understand the space and you, and you don't want to risk, but you want to make money, just buy Bitcoin until you figure it out. <laughs> if if you find Tron being your first investment, you, you messed up. <laughs> or Hex. 
Oh boy. <laughs> or Hex or really <laughs> I got I got friends on Facebook trying to sell me on Hex and I'm like, you guys need to go be with your families. You need to go be with, you need to go be with your families. <laughs> you need to go quarantine yourself, please. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so well, well well thank you for coming on the show, Kyle. I appreciate it. Your perspective was a breath of fresh air. It definitely did alter my perspective a little bit too. You know, I always know that crypto is still early because I've been in here for so long. But when I talk to people like you, it just really reiterates the fact of just how ridiculously early we are. So, you know, thank you for you know opening up the uh the perspectives and providing some new mental models for our audience. And, you know, as Three Arrows Capital continues to grow in the space, as Derivit continues to kick ass, uh, you know, definitely come back in the future. Let us know what you're thinking about and uh, where do you think the space is going to go? Because I think you got a good keen eye on that. And I appreciate your time. Really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Excellent. Thank you very much. December 31st, I grabbed a beer, threw it up, said 2020 is my year, Until I gave this motherfucker like a month or two This is getting kind of ridiculous at this point Yo, my cat died And a global pandemic took over my life And I put out some music that nobody liked So I got really sad and bored at the same time And that's why I'm like, low-key fuck 2020